Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. <clears throat> I'll be reading Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is simple, that I would unfold this text. Unfold what the Apostle Paul in his mind clearly meant to communicate because you gave it to him. And that we who are being saved would feel it, sense it, revel in it, be changed by it to one degree of glory and then to another through and in Jesus Christ, to whom should be praised forever. Amen. This is week 11 in the series, The Person and the Work of the Holy Spirit. This morning's topic is that the Holy Spirit is the seal and He is the guarantee that we will make it to the inheritance that He purchased and that He bought. Now, okay, in a se series on the Holy Spirit, why spend a whole sermon and concentrate on this particular work of the Holy Spirit? The answer is because it is one of the most practical truths about the Holy Spirit that there is. By practical, I mean when everything else in life feels like it's crumbling around you. We can look at Paul's words in Ephesians 1 and know the depth of our security. That the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, if you're a believer, He has sealed it. We'll get there in a minute. And thus, His presence is the guarantee that you will not miss inheriting the inheritance laid up for you. I don't know anything more practical than that. When health goes really bad for you, When children go astray. When marriages are shaky, families break apart, 
jobs disappear, long-time friendships of trust disintegrate before you in this life when pain and confusion gets so great that you think you cannot bear it anymore. The truth of our text comes in. That He, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has sent because of His work on the cross for you, seals you and He is the guarantee you will make it. When that truth hits us in the midst of all of life, that's practice. Do you remember how Paul said it at the end of Romans chapter 8? Because here's Paul knows and he lets us know that being saved for eternity by Jesus does not guarantee down here that you're relieved of any of the experiences that we sinful human beings get. Like grievous trials Peter lets us know about. Or cancer. Or betrayal or death in the family and loved ones, or your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations seem to have taken a turn, your life can feel so shaken that you think you're going to go insane. That's how Paul wrote it, starting with verse 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep. To be slaughtered. Paul's answer is this. Next word. No. Nothing should separate you from the love of Christ. This is the Gospel. He says why? Because in, not aside from, but in all these things, we believers are more than conquerors through Him who loved us because I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present in your life nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about it. The guy who wrote this, God one day grabbed a hold of a vicious sinner, a Pharisee named Paul, and he made him to be one of the most influential human beings in human history. Wow, what an awesome thing. Tell us about your life, Paul. Here's his short little autobiography. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes. Minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger at sea, danger from false Christians in toil, in hardship, through many sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak without me, Paul, feeling weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. How does a man with all of those pains not have a nervous breakdown? He kept going. He didn't live floating down the river of denial. But Paul seemed to clearly go down the river of pain with his eyes wide open. The question is, how do you do it, Paul? Because this doesn't mean he's not angry. It doesn't mean he doesn't cry. It doesn't mean he doesn't have tears. It doesn't mean he doesn't feel. We even see in 2 Corinthians, he, he cried out, God, help! Take it away. But at the core, I think the answer is, how did Paul Severe? Because he knew what he meant when he wrote Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. He knew that God, the Holy Spirit, was savingly dwelling in him. But not only that, he knew what it meant. He knew that meant he was sealed and guaranteed, no matter what happens, He's going to make it. And that therefore this life is but a vapor. Paul must have felt at times that everything in his life was crumbling. At times, we even read, where his close friends in ministry desert him and go back to the world and prove unfaithful to Jesus. And unfaithful to Him. Can't imagine what his prayer life was like. Unless, I assume, it might have been a lot like David's. Where he pray rejoicing. Other times he pray crying. And in anger. And then again, the Word of the Lord... The promises of God would come. I just have to massage his soul. It'd seep in. He'd go on. God, with Paul, saw him through this life all the way to the end.
when it was time to take him home. And at the core, here's my argument this morning, it is because God had Paul know something. Look at it in our text, Ephesians 1. Start with verse 13. He knew this. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it through the praise of His glory. Do you know the depth of the Holy Spirit's gripping seal on your life. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wants us believers to know it, to understand it, to think about it, to turn it over in our minds and in our hearts. Because the very next thing Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1 is essentially this. Now that I've told you what this gospel is, how deep it goes, he says, I want you to really get it. That's what he says. Look at verse 15. Having said all this from verse 3 to 14, this big, long, huge sentence of a massive granite rock of God's eternal purposes in saving particular people, he says he's predestined you, he's chosen you, he has sealed you, and then he goes, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, Ephesians, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's what I pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is, He wants you to know, what is the immeasurable. That means it can't measured the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe that's his prayer it's immeasurable if we say oh I know I accepted Jesus uh, two years ago or 20 years ago and oh I know we're sealed by the Holy Spirit then we don't get what Paul's talking about you never arrive at the capacity. You never get understanding with our hearts and our minds and our relationship with the Lord that says, I'm, I've got it. It's immeasurable as we press on. And we are desperate as believers to pursue 
knowing him in the truth of his sealing and guaranteeing work, precisely because as I started off the sermon, life is constantly filled with destructive shakings and earthquakes in our lives. So my hope is that we would this morning feel, and I use that word on purpose, not just think, but feel the reality of the Holy Spirit's work of sealing us and guaranteeing us the inheritance in and through the midst of everything in life. But to get there, I think we have to be realist. You can't just say, Look at that, I'm sealed. Okay? B. Because real, biblically oriented, open to what the Bible teaches kinds of Christians, get confronted with a question. If we're sealed, we're, we're secure to the eternal Inheritance. How does it fit with so many other passages in Scripture that warn us about the threats to our eternal security in Jesus? I mean, is it Christian life? I mean, one day, one week, one month, you mean things are just going lickety split smooth? You can't wait to pick up the Bible and can't wait to fellowship with believers and, and to pour out to others and your times with the Lord are refreshing. Temptation is, what? What's that? And then there are other times you're in the midst of struggling to trust God. Struggling to be obedient to His Word. Battling anger. Battling unforgiveness. Temptation. And then you open the Bible and you read texts that say, it's a glorious future. If you continue in the faith, firm and steadfast, it seems like to destroy your Sure. I just want us to taste that part for a moment. Okay? Those if clauses in the New Testament. I'm going to read to you from nine separate New Testament books. So just to show you how spread out it is and universal it is in, at the core of Christianity. Paul writes in Romans 11, starting with verse 20, They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, Christian, stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Therefore, let anyone in this room who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 15.2 You are being saved if you hold fast to the Word 
I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Paul writes, Christians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. In Galatians 6.9 And let us not grow weary of doing good For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Colossians 1.21-23 And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you have heard, Paul, I mean the Hebrew writer writes in chapter 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter 1.17 And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your sojourning here on earth. And finally, Revelation 2.10 Jesus says to the church, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. One thing is clear. All all these texts are giving a test of what a genuine Christian is. They're testing whether one's so-called faith in Jesus, is real. That thing produced, as we've seen in this series, by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are warned as Christians, we are warned as churches, not to give to people a false security of their eternal Future, because it's clear that that goes through the pathway of persevering faith. A tree that bears fruits in a messy life. Okay, now you feel them? Paul's talking about eternal security. This is my argument in chapter 1 of Ephesians. I'll run up against these texts. Let me just say this at this point. Do not make the mistake of thinking that I have said something I didn't say or misunderstanding these if clauses, these texts about persevering. These texts, if you continue, are not a threat to believers' eternal security in Jesus. 
They can cause our assurance to go down depending on what's going on in our life. But ultimately, the purpose of those texts to Christians, to, to the church, is the exact opposite of threatening your eternal security. These texts are a threat to our security. Not in God and in the salvation we have in Christ. But they're the threat to the security that we may be placing in other things right now other than in God or in Christ. These texts say to the truly regenerate, the truly born-again people, remember, they're written to the church, not to the non-church, not to the world. They're saying the more you find your security in your job or your health, then the more the Bible is a threat to you right now. That's what they're saying. The more you find your security in really good marriage, really happy children, homeschool family, the more the Bible is a threat to you. The more you find your security in job and retirement funds and property, the future, down here, the more... Again, the Bible threatens us professing Christians. Why? Because at the core of sin is precisely that dynamic. The core of all of our sin, which is the Christian battle until we die, it is a moving and a turning away from our security or trust, the promises of the Gospel that He has given to us, and we're turning to other things down here to meet that need. And that's why when the Bible says, repent, Turn away from that sin. Now, again, this is the Christian life. And turn back and continue in trust. Trust in the Gospel. Trust in Christ your Savior who has secured the eternal inheritance. It says that, and then it says, listen, I'm putting the two things together now, okay? Eternal security and the threats. Repent. Do it. Okay. And then he says, is that you? Is that happening in your life right now? Good, then know this. You're going to make it. That's a good sign. That means the Holy Spirit's in you. You wouldn't be truly turning from sin in your daily life and repenting if the Holy Spirit was not dwelling in you. He's dwelling in you. He's the guarantee. You're going to make it. Look at Anybody with me? No? Okay, good. That's enough. The others can go listen to that later. See, you will make it to the resurrection and find yourself eternally saved if you continue in the faith. Oh, are you a Christian? You cannot not make it. He sealed you. He's guaranteed it. You can, there are no dropouts. There is no contradiction in those in the Bible. They're not contradictory. The if clause. Let me just give you a taste. Here's Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy, this is the Christian life. And continue to let your people know this. Quote, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, Timothy, flee! That means run away as if in terror from. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Okay. So those warnings in the New Testament are saying to believers, flee from these things again to God and experience your security in Him again and again and again in the Gospel. Because He alone is your true source of happiness. All the threats in the New Testament against living in unrepentant sin, basically, that's one way to say it, you just turn it around positively, and they're constantly saying to believers, God is your God is your true happiness in Jesus Christ. And that's why it is believers who hear the threats of Scripture and respond in their life to them. Let's go back to the text now and look at it. Ephesians 1. Starting with verse 11, Paul writes, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now don't miss it. These words are clearly communicating to us that God the Father wants us to experience, to feel intimately and relationally with Him our eternal safety, security. 
To see that, there are three things in this text. We're going to go one, two, three to see what Paul is doing. As it comes together, where God is saying to every believer, you're really safe. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your repentant life, you're safe and you're secure. The first thing we need to see is the key to understanding what he means by you are sealed. And he says it twice, at the beginning and at the end of this little passage. Or at least in the middle. You can see it the first time in verse 12. Okay. Paul's writing, Paul, why have we been predestined to this salvation? Answer, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. That's why. You might not have gotten it. I mean, it's really clear, but it's amazing how those words fly over us Christians' heads. You mean God wants to be praised? See, if I said that as a sinful creature... I want to be praised. By definition, that would have been sinful. For God to move and to act, to send Jesus to save, to sanctify, to mold, to do anything without the motivation of His desire to be praised, then He would be sinful. Now, argument for that, I don't have time. Week one, this series, go back. That was my argument. It's all there. God is the only eternal being. He is the only pure being. Pure holiness and righteousness and goodness and happiness. And therefore, for God to act first and foremost always for the praise and extension of His glory in and through us creation and creatures... That is the most loving thing He could possibly do for us. Let me try to give you an analogy. Let's just think that here we are, we're beings. In the essence of what we are, forget about all of our emotions and soul, we, we, we are eating beings. And we have taste buds that are just really alive. Okay? So all we're about, God's created us to be about enjoyment of, of meals. In this text, God essentially says this. Delight yourself in the greatest of all possible meals. Not white, plain, dry rice. And because he loves us, according to what Paul's saying in Ephesians 1. Because He loves you, He says, I will make that meal central to everything for your joy. See, to feel what Paul says here again, it would be like me saying, everyone after church today is invited 
to go to lunch. And I'm buying. Oh, and the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to praise me for doing so. That is exactly what Paul says here about God. He says in verse 12, All this great salvation, this predestination, is so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. So that human beings being saved from His wrath would say, You are magnificent! And he says it again in verse 14. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So, why does He save us? Why does He seal us and guarantee the future inheritance by the indwelling Holy Spirit in us? The answer is so that we believers may feel His salvation and say with our mouths, from our hearts, you're magnificent. This is the best meal I've ever had. And that's God's motive in saving us. To say, you, oh God, are the quintessence of all possible, joyful, satisfying meals. Not that that is an icing on the cake of salvation. It's not Paul's point. It's not God's point. It's not that I saved you, but oh, and you got happy about it, that's good. Oh, you want to praise me about it? Oh, that's good, that comes once in a while. His purpose in saving is to the praise of how great He is. That's what the text says. That's the first thing to notice here. The second thing to notice is that that experience in that text, in this text, is not for everybody. Look at verse 13. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. Follow His logic. God sends Jesus, dies on the cross, He rises from the dead, the Gospel comes out, He calls you, He regenerates you, He saves us, so that in our believing in Him, we would praise His glory. You can't separate that. That was point one, right? You can't separate that from point two. Point one, He does this for the magnificent praise that flows out of the church to Him and will forever, unhinderedly, connected to point two. It is only believers that do that. Because to believe means to trust. It means that we eat the meal and we say, I like it! And that's believing. So it's in Him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth of the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him. We heard. God said, I'm God. You're not 
you're guilty. I have sent my Son to bear the penalty for your sin. He has borne your wrath away. I raised Him from the dead. I gave the Gospel through people to you. And then I acted upon your heart. Called you to Myself. And He's not done. And then He says to us, Hear this. You have come to Christ believing in Him because I called you. Because I chose you from the foundation of the world. And He says, I'm not going to stop. I want you to know why. So that you will praise Me forever. That's why I did it. That's the text. And that's what faith does. You ever been like me? You're without a good auto mechanic or a good dentist. I mean, two dangerous professions to go to. You can find it. So you ask people, do you know one? And once in a while, you got a friend who knows one. And you would think they're worshiping. He's the greatest. You can trust him. And, and it's, really? Okay, okay. That's how it works. That's what faith is. Jesus says it's like a man who finds a treasure in the field. You don't like conjure it up. It's the treasure, the kingdom of God. Bury it. I'll sell everything I got to eat that meal, to go to that auto mechanic the God and the Father through Jesus Christ who saves us. And you tell people to the praise of His glory. So let us summarize the first two points we'll get to the third. Because God is always first and foremost about the worship and the praise of His own glory. That's what He says. I do this to the praise of My glory because that's true. Second point. He is utterly committed to secure every believer. Which is the obvious third thing which he says in this text. So, in other words, it is, if it is true that God is saving people in order to secure for Himself the praise of His own eternal glory, and that only happens through regenerated hearts of faith in Christ, then you could be assured that He has taken every step there is to take in order to secure for Himself the praise of His own glory forever. And that's what the text means when He says, He has sealed you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who is the guarantee that that future inheritance and the resurrection and eternal salvation is guaranteed. He will bring you all the way home. See, we should learn as Christians to ask the big questions of life. Not just, yeah, I'm saved. Awesome. Go on for the next 40 years. But as Paul urges in chapter 1, and we saw, I pray that you will see it. 
pray that you will feel it. I pray that you will let the tentacles go deep down. See, when we be- begin to believe much of what is just written right here in our Bibles, we evangelical Christians would stop making stupid comments like, oh, here's the God, just, He thinks you're a diamond in the rough. He just wants to, he wants to grab you and He wants to clean you up and let your life be a little bit better. When we say things like that, we miss the entire point of the Gospel that Paul's laying out for us here. And we steal God's glory. We refuse to say to ourselves and to others, the reason why God is saving. Which means that His glory, His glory extended through creation and salvation by reflecting back to Him through praise is the reason for any and everything good and unpleasant. It will all redound in eternity future, to His glory. The Gospel is that God from eternity has been passionately committed to the praise, worship, and adoration of His eternal beauty and glory. And therefore, when He saves and pours out His Spirit, He was never and never will be about to leave that activity into the hands of the likes of me. Or you. But He has secured in the cross of Christ not just maybe the ability of some, but the absolute inevitability of all whom He's saving will throughout this life, persevere to the end, come into the inheritance, and then, even then, unhinderedly praise His name because He is at the center of all things, not mankind. Am I making sense? Okay, a couple more things and we'll be done. So let's look at those two words real quickly then. First, the word, He has sealed you. It's used different ways in the first century, a couple of different ways in the New Testament. So just in the New Testament, we can see that same word you sealed when they sealed the tomb. They locked in whatever was ever in the tomb. Or they locked out people who couldn't get into the tomb. When you seal the tomb with a rock, it's one meaning of the word seal. Because we're going to be at, what does Paul mean by seal? We sealed that way, locked in. Secondly, sealed in a sense of ownership. You know, Bonanza, the Cartwrights would seal their cattle. They brand them, right? That's the Cartwright brand. It's the seal. It's got the mark on it. It's used that way in the New Testament. You've got the seal. Ownership. These people own it. Does that what Paul mean? God owns you. We know because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Or the third way is the seal of it's authentic. California's got its seal. It's an official, authentic paper with the seal of California on it. Or here's how Paul used it in Romans 4.11. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness 
of the faith that he had before. So he's saying, Abraham had faith, and then that's authentic faith, it's there. Here's the seal. Circumcision is a seal there. In other words, it's saying, he is authentic. Now, here's the thing about those three uses of seal. Because you want to ask, what do you, what do you mean, Paul? I, I think he can mean either one of them. But here's the thing. All three of those truths about the believer being locked in. You ain't getting out, as Jesus said. No, I lose none of those whom the Father gives me. You're locked in. That's true. Okay. Ownership. The Holy Spirit's in you. He's not going to leave. He owns you. Or the Holy Spirit is that sign on you that you're authentic. Well, we have seen that. We know that in the New Testament that there are tests of authenticity all over the place. Test yourselves, Paul said, right? Test yourselves to see if you're true, if you are in the faith. And so in the Christian life of authenticity, the Holy Spirit is in us. And again I sin. Again I find myself undone. Again we hate our sin. We cry out to God. We repent. Guess what? That's a sign of authenticity. When true repentance is happening in the professing believer's life, it's only because, as the text says, the Holy Spirit who's in you, who is the seal. So He has sealed every believer. He's locked us in. He owns us. And there's evidence of authenticity because of the Spirit's indwelling. And that's why I think the second word, where he uses the word guarantee, the Holy Spirit in you is the guarantee. Now, most Bibles in your footnote will have a little mark there and say, down payment. Because analogous to us, when you get a loan from a bank, you want to buy a house, and maybe you had a lot stored up or an inheritance, you put $80,000 down, it's a guarantee of what? Well, those people are going to be faithful to pay their loan because they don't want to forfeit $80,000. Okay, now he's talking about God. He says, when he puts that down payment, the third person of the Holy Trinity comes inside of you. That's what produced your saving faith. That's when your eyes opened up. When, if that has happened, he will not fail to get you home to the resurrection of the just. He is, Paul says, the guarantee. Now, I'm going to do something. Just We're going to have Bible reading time for a moment. I'm going to read this long sentence of Paul. Just, just if, if you're wandering, get your mind back. Just listen to the Scripture. As Paul puts this whole thing together, starting with verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us 
for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us in the wisdom and insight making known to us. I, I read that, didn't I? The mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, Christian, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of His glory. Paul has just, in a nutshell, clearly told us, this is what God's about. He is predetermined before creation to have a church have a bride for His eternal Son who would save them from sin into which they would fall and He would redeem them from His own eternal wrath. And that message would go out and He would not just leave the words going out through the church, but the Holy Spirit would act and be saving people. Because He is determined to call into faith many and to adopt them as sons and daughters. That's what he's told us. Then he's just not done yet. He says, I want you to know that you're sealed. That the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is the guarantee. You will make it all the way home. Because that seal's there. The proof is, look at your life. You fight the fight of faith. You repent. You persevere in faith. You have the signs of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so that's the big question. Do we know deep down in our daily battle of the Christian life this glorious granite rock of truth of the sealing and the guaranteeing of the Holy Spirit.
as I started, sometimes you think, I know that. And you want to look back. Something's coming in your life. You'll look back to a day like this. Let me hear that sermon again. Because there are times in your life you will have a close friend desert you. A loved one die unexpectedly. You'll be shipwrecked. Uh, We can go through Paul's litany. Families fall apart. Marriages disintegrate. Life has struggles and pains. And you will trip yourself up on your own sins and find yourself repenting. That's Christian life. And the point is, no matter what, this text says He secures you. If everything else in life becomes unstable, Paul says you have a solid, stable rock dwelling in you called the Holy Spirit. I want to just flip over as I'm going to close now to Romans 8. Because I want to just read a a little bit from Romans 8 because Paul uses very different language in Romans 8 than he does in Ephesians 1. But he is essentially saying the same thing. In verse 23, Paul writes to us believers, and not only the creation, but we Christians, ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, see that, indwelling us, we groan inwardly. That means there's a lot of pain at times. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the future resurrection of our body. In verse 14 he begins, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Gospel does not promise or guarantee in this life no pain. 
no heartache, no tragedy, no suffering, no families disintegrating, no betrayal. The Gospel does not promise that God will not speak to you firmly and warn you to turn back. In fact, that's part of what the Gospel life is. But the Gospel says to every child of God, you're mine. I have predestined you from beginning to end. I have sent My Son to purchase you and to seal you and to guarantee you by My very presence in you. You will make it. Your inheritance is guaranteed because I am passionately... Okay, I want to say this. I, I, can't, I know I'm going to quit, but I want to say it like 20 times. Your, this is the gospel. You're making it. You're persevering through it. Is guaranteed, God says, because I, God, am passionately committed to my glory. Being reflected in tears and joy again and perseverance, a heart of praise and trust in you during this life, and committed to one day in the resurrection, you forever then being unhindered in your adoration and worship of Me. That's where the believer's security rests. Let's pray. Father, would You... to Your extension of Your glory, cause the roots of this glorious Gospel to go deeply into the minds, souls, emotions, affections, joys, comforts, traumas, pains of the life of us, Your people. Do this the glory of Jesus and thus to the joy and comfort and assurance of us your people.